Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, imagine that you're hiking in the mountains. Um, maybe hiking in the kind of place where the, the rocks are big enough and sometimes it's actually a little climbing, you know, crawling up over the rocks and doing this. And somehow you miss the little spot of paint that tells you the right way and you make a wrong turn. And you find yourself walking on this ledge. It's like, you know, I don't know how far down it is. You know, it looks like a thousand feet, but however far it is, you know, if you fall off there, you're, it's all over with, you're dead. And so you're walking down this, and you think, wow, this is kind of strange, this is a path, and as you, you kind of come around, as, as you're on this, like a cliff, big rocks, and you look over here, and wait a minute, this path ends. <laughs> I can't go forward here. You think, I gotta go back, and as you turn to go back, all of a sudden, part of where you walked on, that small little path caves in and goes down. And there's no way you can go back. No way to go forward, no way to go back. You're on this rocky thing that's pretty much straight up, and there's one root sticking out. And so you kind of grab the root, and then that feels a little loose, and you aren't sure about it. You You don't want to pull it too hard. And you stand there, but every time you kind of move, all of a sudden this little path starts to crumble more. Go away. Anybody want to be in that situation? And then all of a sudden you're there and from someplace up above, I mean way far farther than you could climb, all of a sudden comes this rope over the edge and it has like a, a belt harness on it. And, and it comes down and you catch it and you don't know who's up there, you can't hear. Uh, and so, but you slip the harness on, right? And hold on the cord and, and you just wait. And what are you hoping? That whoever threw the rope or is going to pull you up. Okay? That is your hope and expectation. And you realize that there is no other solution, is there? There's no other way out of this but this way. And so as we look to the word of God today, the title of our sermon is God and God Alone. And let's take our Bibles and go to Psalm 62, and we'll tie into that illustration a little bit. Psalm 62, we'll read through the whole thing in a minute, but let's go to verse 5. It says, My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from Him. That word expectation... Uh, you, you may have a marginal note, I do, it says, means like my hope, my expectation, my hope. But the Hebrew word that's translated there literally means a cord or a rope. And so when the psalmist wrote this and the Holy Spirit led him along to write this, he's writing that my cord, my hope, just like we in that illustration, this cord is my hope. It's attached to God. God's got the other end of this. And he is my only hope. My expectation is found in him. So let's read through the whole psalm now. And uh, I may comment a little bit along the way. He says, 
Truly my soul silently waits for God. And that word truly, again, the Hebrew word here, that word truly is a word of emphasis, but it's really often used to communicate the idea of alone or only. And so what he's saying is, oh, God is my only hope. He alone is the one who can do what I need to be done, to be what I need him to be in my life. Truly my soul silently waits for God. And it said silently down in verse five as well. And that idea of silently, it's not so much the idea of nothing coming out of your mouth, it's about being still, being still, being quiet. Now in the illustration we talked about, it became really important to stay still on that path, didn't it? Because the more you move, the more frantic you became, the more the path disappeared on you. And really that's the way it is in life. When we find ourselves in life with things going on, we can get frantic and, and then we start doing things we shouldn't do or our minds run wild and then we aren't able to look at things right and we end up in worse trouble than we, we were when we started. And so he's saying, okay, I, I need to in my life to not be that way. I need to be quiet and still before the Lord because he alone is the one who can make the difference here. Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will you attack a man? Now let me stop before I read this. We have to remember always that King David, he was the king and he was the king because God had chosen him to be the king. The, the prophet Sam had anointed him to be the king. He was set apart by God to be the king. So the opposition that came against him when he, that would come, he knew that that was not of God. That wasn't God's plan because God had appointed him king and given him these responsibilities. And so now he's, he's talking uh, to and about these people who are trying to undermine him, sometimes trying to kill him, trying to get rid of him. Verse three, how long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. And he talks about them. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. Really talking about himself. He says, they delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. You know anybody like that? Who talks one way to you, but in your life is something different? Have you seen it on the news lately? I mean, it's right then. This is the way it goes, right? He's, he's saying this is the way they are. And so then this is his response again to this. Uh, if anybody had reason to get worked up, it would have been David. But he says, my soul waits silently. There's that word again. Wait silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And then he talks again about the situation and the, the, those who are opposed to him. He says, surely men of low degree are a vapor. They're here and gone. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed on the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. 
Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. God has spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. And he's back here referring, he says this because of these people who are trying to get power, who think they have power, or, or use wrong methods to try to gain power. And he says, no, no, no. Power belongs to God. Verse 12, also, and then he talks to God, also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy. For you render to each one according to his work. You're the one who makes these judgments, and thank you, Lord, that you are a God of mercy. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd lead us along through this psalm. Speak to our hearts and minds the things we need to understand and respond to. And again, I ask, Lord, that right now each of us would very consciously purpose to say yes to you about whatever you would speak to us here today. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are seven terms in this psalm that show up that um, are really instructive when we're talking about God and God alone, okay, and the, the places in our lives which he uh, holds for that. And those terms are salvation. He talks about that and that God is our rock and he is our defense and our glory and he is the rock of our strength and he is our refuge and he is the one who provides mercy. God and God alone is the source of all these things and the one we need to be looking for in them. So we're going to just uh, look at these seven things okay, this morning. And so let's take a look at verse one, verse two, excuse me, verse one. Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my what? I didn't put you guys to sleep already, did I? From him comes my, there you go. Verse two, he only is my rock and my salvation. Uh, verse six, he only is my rock and salvation. He says it again, and in verse seven, in God is my salvation. Four times he, he refers to this idea of salvation. So the first truth that we want to know is that God and God alone can save you from the eternal consequences of sin. And this salvation probably means more than this. It's not only being saved eternally into the consequences of sin, but it's probably then saved in my life and experiencing the deliverance of God in my life, all those kinds of things. But I just want to focus here for a little bit today on this being saved from the eternal consequences of your sin. Now, let me talk to you as, as our church family here. It is, I know how easy it is to get to this point. Here we are in a sermon and Walt's gonna explain the gospel again. It is so easy to check out because how many times have you heard me explain the gospel? Like almost every time you've ever heard me preach, right? At some level. Don't check out on it though, okay? For a number of reasons. Uh, one of which is maybe there's something you need to understand. I mean. I, how about you? I, when I'm reading the scripture sometimes or I hear a preacher or I'm talking with a brother or sister in Christ, sometimes they say something that is something that, yes, I've known all along, but they say it in a way or either that or God is just doing something and all of a sudden something hits me. And so the gospel is so important. We have no relationship with God apart from the gospel, do we? Everything else we talk about has to go through the gospel and be consistent with the gospel. So let's just talk briefly about this, as well as those of you who are watching or listening at a later time. Let's, let's remember that 
The reality is, is that we, like our forefathers all the way back to the beginning, Adam and Eve, we have all sinned, haven't we? We've all sinned and we've failed to measure up to God's standards. We've fallen short. And, and that produces some major problems in our lives. Uh, the, the first one is that it, ultimately it's going to bring death. Okay, we're going to die, which in and of itself, that's not pleasant. We say, ah, no big deal. But the reality is we are also spiritually dead, which means when this life comes to an end, if we don't have a relationship with Christ, if we haven't solved this sin problem, then we are going to be separated from God forever in hell. It's, it's, it's horrific to even think about that. And so what God did, he says he loved us so much that he sent his only son into the world. God showed his love to us and that while we were still sinners, Christ came into the world to die for our sins. Jesus, the son of God, we sang about him, the light of the world. Uh, we have no hope apart from him. But anyway, he came, he lived this sinless, perfect life, dies on the cross, the son of God and, and the human being all in one. He dies on the cross in our place paying the penalties for our sins. Three days later, he rises from the dead, showing that God had accepted his payment for sin and showing that he actually had victory over death now. Uh, and so the offer to us in the scriptures, if we will be honest with God and ourselves about our condition, that we have sinned against the holy God. And by the way, if you're you aren't sure today that you've ever sinned against God, well, God says that you need to love him before all else all the time. Have you always loved God above all else all the time? No, none of us have. And he also says that we are to love our neighbors just as much as we love ourselves. Has you always done that? No, we've all failed there. So, I mean, we could make a long list. We don't need to. We've all failed. We've all fallen short. And if we will acknowledge that be honest with ourselves about before God and say, there's no way I can fix this. I've done these things. And we say, I, you know, I believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, that he, he is the son of God, come down as a human being, and he lived and died and rose again the way the Bible says. And right now what I'm going to do is I'm going to trust him to be my savior, to save me from the penalty for my sins. I'm going to trust him. I, I'm not going to trust anything else. Nothing else can do it. I'm going to put my trust in him once and for all and receive Christ as Savior. And when we sincerely do that, when we're sincere in that, uh, the Bible says that we are born again, that there's a, 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 the old dead nature that we had inside is now replaced. It's come to life because God himself has moved in. And now we are alive. And so when this life ends, uh, we go on living with him in heaven and, and he's in us working in our lives. And every sin has been forgiven. Do you ever find yourself struggling with certain things you've done in your life? Time periods in your life, maybe how you lived. Jesus died for all of it. Every bit of it. And so you're forgiven when you receive Christ as Savior. And so... Is there any other way to get saved? Is there? Is there any way, other way to solve this problem? There isn't. And so that's why we say what? In God, God and God alone is the one who can save us from the eternal consequences of our sin. And let me just say to you that if you, know, you start thinking about your life and you say, yeah, I, kinda, I know that stuff, but I don't know that I've ever, 
really made this personal between me and God, I want to encourage you to do that right now. Say, oh God, that's me. And I do believe and I'm going to trust Jesus is my savior. And as always, if you have questions about it, um, please reach out to us. We'd love to help you with that. All right, so let's look now at the next word here is rock. In verse number two, he only is my rock. Verse number six, he only is my rock. In verse seven, and God, uh, he is the, uh, the rock of my strength. This idea of being a rock, uh, it's the idea of what you build your life upon. So I'll just say saying that God and God alone can provide a firm foundation to build your life upon. Okay, that's a, go ahead and go to that if you would, Eduardo. He's the only one who can provide you without foundation. You remember Jesus tells the story, right? He talks about the story of two people who built houses and how they built them on different things. One built their house on sand and when the storms came, the house falls and another person built their house on a solid rock. When the storm came, it was able to stay, stand because it had a, a foundation that was immovable. And so here's what Jesus says about this. He says, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the storms of life came and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. So what is this rock? What is this foundation? It's the relationship with God and what he tells us is true. It's the things that are true from his word, okay? He has, um, this is what we need to build our lives upon because anybody ever experienced any storms in life? Anybody besides me? Yeah. They will come. And they will come again. And what is your life built on? If it's built on anything other, you'll experience what he talks about the other person. Go ahead. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And it fell. And great was its fall. So that's our choice in life. And, and only the temptation, the pull is always to build your life on something else. That was the pull in the garden. Yes, I know God said don't eat of that tree, but you know what? He told you that because he's really holding out on you. This is where to build your life. How did that work out? Really bad for all of us, didn't it? Okay, so we want to build our life upon the rock. Uh, and there's an old hymn that speaks of this, okay? You know, the stick Christ, the solid rock. Let's, in fact, why don't you sing it with me if you would, if you know it. If not, just listen. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Take that to heart today. God and God alone is the only one who can provide you with that foundation that you can build your life upon that will withstand 
the storms of life. All right, the third term is defense. And we see in verse number two, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. And verse number six, again, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. Um, this word defense in Hebrew language is used to translate the idea of in a, in a city, they would build this big tower at the corners of the city or at the gates of the city where if an enemy came, they could go up into that tower where they would be safe from the attacks and where they would be able to attack back down on. Also meant uh, the idea of getting the high ground in, a, in a, a battle situation where you get to the top of the hill up on the, maybe on the cliff where the enemy had to try to come up. This secure stronghold is what it's talking about. And so this is what God provides us in our life. So the third thing is this, that God and God alone can protect you from the things that have the ability to ruin your life. Now, this doesn't mean that we have nothing to do with this in ourselves. We do have things that we need to do in response. But the bottom line is, if you and I trust in ourselves to, to protect ourselves from everything that could destroy us, ultimately we will always fail. Our strength is not sufficient. And so there's a reality here that we see. Uh, Jesus in talking to Pilate. Pilate comes in, uh, Jesus is, is on trial. Pilate, who's the Roman governor, who will be the one who eventually will say to, you know, go crucify him. And, but Jesus is not responding to him at this point. He's letting him talk. And Pilate says this. Then Pilate said to him, do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? I have that power. Okay. Um, and so this is the way we naturally look at life, that people and things have this power. And so if you have the power, can you protect yourself? Isn't that what we think? If I can get enough power, enough strength here, you know, I can protect myself. But Jesus tells Pilate the truth and it, it un, you know, lays all those wrong ideas open. And it says this, Jesus answered, said, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. So who ultimately has power over all things? God does. And that's why God and God alone can be the one to ultimately protect us, to be our defense. And, and we fool ourselves. Now, this idea can um, be a bit of a struggle for us maybe sometimes because I think it's safe to say that sometimes people don't trust God to use this power. So they try to take care of it themselves. But it's a foolhardy mission. You can't do it on your own. And so what's really crucial here is, is why would we think that I can't trust God? Why would you think you can't trust God? You know why? It's because we're, you're believing something that isn't true. You're believing something that isn't true about God. Well, I can't really trust God to, to be my defense and protect me because I don't know if he's really good. Bad things have happened in my life before. And we believe wrong things. And therefore we think, oh, I need to take care of this myself. <laughs> and so we set up walls and we put things in place and, and we aren't trusting God. We gotta start with trusting God. And again, let me say, this doesn't mean we don't do anything to protect ourselves. We need to be wise and make good decisions. But ultimately, 
Underneath all of that, God is the one who has to protect us. Um, so think about this. Jesus said that even Pilate, with all his power, could have zero power unless what? God had allowed it. And we're talking about defending ourselves or being protected. So I want you to understand something, that God has all power over everything. Now, that ought to make you immediately ask the question, so wait a minute, and so what about that bad stuff that happened in my life? Well, here, let me just kind of lay this out for you today. If you know Jesus as your Savior, if you've received him as your Savior, the Bible says that you belong to him now. He has moved in, and you are his possession. And he takes care of his possessions. But here's what you can know. That if God has allowed something to happen in your life, I mean, let's just, let me stop and just set this. We talked about Pilate saying, don't you know I have power? And Jesus says, well, you couldn't have that power unless the Lord. And then did Pilate exercise that power? And Jesus died a horrific death because of it? Why did God allow that? Did God have some big, awesome, important, eternal plan to accomplish through that? Yes. And even Jesus looked forward to the joy that was going to come through that, the scriptures say. But so the idea is this, that if God, you belong to him, he loves you, he values you, if, if, you, uh, if he allows something into your life, you can be assured of something. And that's that he can bring good out of it. He is good out of it. The things that he is going to accomplish, which are good for everybody for all time. Now, when Jesus died and all that he went through with that and taking the sin, was that pleasant to him? Was it? No. It was horrific. But it still accomplished a greater good, and Jesus was glad to do it. And so that's the way we need to get to. If God has allowed some hardship in my life, first of all, it can't come into my life if God doesn't allow it. Secondly, he will not allow anything to come into my life which he cannot use for good. And third, he will use it for good. Okay? And so we have to understand that we need to trust him and believe him and let him protect us. And this shows up when we find ourselves having to make a decision and we choose to make the decision that God says we're supposed to make in his word. But which naturally we'd say, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to, how can I do that? I can't trust these people. Well, you probably can't. But you can trust God. And so this is how we let him protect us. We put ourselves in a position where God is going to show up and make sure that we get where he wants us to be so we can do the things that he wants us to do. All right, he, God and God alone is ultimately the one who is our defense. Now let's look at the, the next term, glory. Verse number seven, and God is my salvation and my glory. Now, nowhere in the scripture is there ever an intent that we get glory for ourselves. That's not what it's about, although we can share in God's glory. And so what he's talking about here is that this whole idea of glory, that, that, that comes from God. And, and I can, he has a plan and a purpose in my life for his glory. Um, let's review real quick. This idea of glory, when we talk about glory and glorifying God, 
Glory is this word that just means, it's hard to put into words what glory means, okay? It's this amazing uh, qualities, it's uh, an awesomeness that's there. Uh, one we might almost say unbelievable, right? I mean, glory, okay? Is there anything about God that is not glorious? I'm actually asking you. No, there's nothing about God that is not glorious. Everything that you would ever see and learn and know, experience about God is glorious. It's that kind of thing. Um, is there anything about you that's not glorious? Yeah. I'm not in a hurry to let you know about it. All right. And so the glory is about him. And so God and God alone can enable you to live a life that makes him known. You make him known, he is glorified. We see his glory. The Apostle Paul talked about this. He said, that, uh, and go ahead. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So he says, he's, this is what he's given us to do, that people would be able to see our lives and, and see how we live, and they might be think, oh, wow, what an amazing person, how they do, but what is it really about? No, it's about what God has done. Hey, Tom, has God done anything in your life that only attributable to him? Yeah, right, we know it. Forrest, Billy, we go around the room. David, I mean... Haven't we? He's done things in our lives. And the idea is that he would be known because of that. And so we, we got to be open about our relationship with God and people can see it. Fact, fact. I just heard a story from someone yesterday who was talking about how they've had a relationship with someone over the years and they've been talking about their lives and how God works in their lives to this person. And this person just recently said with tears in her eyes, can you tell me about your Jesus? and came to Christ because of it. See, that's what, the, but she could see it. She was open about it. And she could see this, the glory of God. She's making him known. And, but then the, Paul continues and he says, it's a good reminder to us. He says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. In other words, we just talked about us that there's plenty of things about us that are not glorious. There are things that are glorious because of the way God has made us, but there's plenty that isn't. And so that's that idea of earthen vessels, nothing fancy, so that God can be seen, so he can be seen in us, all right? So the idea is when, you know, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we are going to want him to be glorified. And if that's going to happen, we need to now want him to be glorified and focus our lives and refocus our lives and stay focused on him being known by the way we live our lives. All right, the fifth word is actually a phrase. He says, rock of my strength, verses seven. He says, and God is my salvation, my glory, the rock of my strength. In verse 11, God has spoken once, twice, I heard this, that power belongs to God. Strength belongs to God. Let me say this to you. You are not strong enough in yourself to deal with what you need to deal with. Um, 
Can a person be really strong? Strong character, strong will, strong physically, strong whatever, strong skills, yes. They can, and, and we admire that, you know, and, and we sort of want to aspire to it. But here's the thing. When push comes to shove in life and death, nobody has the strength to do what needs to be done or to face what needs to be faced. We need God's strength for that to be our experience. And see, your natural strength will work against you every time. When you think you're strong enough to handle things on your own and you don't look to the Lord and you don't depend on him and maybe you set aside his word because you got this, uh, it's gonna work against you every time. So much so that if you remember the Apostle Paul, um, who I would think was probably a pretty strong person, has a problem, asks God to fix the problem. God doesn't fix the problem. And he said, what's the deal, God? Fix the problem. And God says, no, I'm not going to fix the problem. And finally, the conversation comes down to where God says, look, my grace is sufficient for you. And what you're going to find out is that it's my strength in you that you need. And the Apostle Paul got it. So much so that he says, now I'm happy when I realize I'm weak because that means I have to depend on God and his strength. I have to. And so uh, that's where we want to live our lives. Now, they say there's nothing wrong with natural strength. God gave you those strengths, didn't he? He gave you those abilities, uh, whatever. So there's nothing wrong with them, but they're not sufficient. What we need to have is God to infuse our strength with his strength. And sometimes he tells us to set aside our strengths. Other times he infuses it. And then it becomes valuable and accomplishes what he wants. Have you ever watched a Christian go through terrible hardships? And you look at this person and you are amazed. How can they do that? How can they go through that and still have joy? How can they go through this and be calm? How can they go through it and... How can they do that? Well, what are you seeing? You're seeing someone who God has infused their strength with his. And they are able to do whatever they need to do. And that's what God provides for us if we let him. We, but we have to surrender to him. We have to depend on him. And when we surrender to him and depend on him and then by faith live out, he strengthens us for whatever we need to do. He will. And you can't get that anywhere else. Only God and God alone. All right, the next word here, refuge. Verse seven, and God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. And verse eight, the last phrase, God is a refuge for us. This word refuge, um, in Hebrew, it's translated, it, it communicates the idea of a shelter, a, a shelter. You know, the idea, if, if, if I'm using the analogy of hiking, but if you're out hiking and the, the thunderstorm picks up and you, you come along on the trail and there's a shelter that has been built, that's for you, you get in there, right, to be what? Safe from the storm. God is that for us, okay? And important to understand that God and God alone will provide you with a truly safe place in life. 
kind of hate to ask this question, and maybe you don't have to show a hand, but let me ask the question. Have you ever found yourself not feeling safe with people? I mean, certain times, places, it might be physically, you don't feel safe. But more often than not, it's you don't feel safe emotionally, right? You don't feel safe to, I can't be myself here. I have to, you know, maintain this image, or I, I couldn't ever share that. I, I, it isn't safe. And, and I think if you're human, you experience that. You know, but it's such a huge thing right now in our culture, that, you know, this realization that people need a safe place, don't they? They need a safe place uh, to be themselves. And I'll talk a little more about that in just a minute. But God and God alone can provide you with a truly safe place in life. A place where you can be who you really are, not in hiding, and be safe there. I want you to think about the story of the woman who's caught in adultery. Caught in adultery, they bring her before Jesus. They're accusing her. They want Jesus to condemn her. And they, you know, they're trying to catch Jesus in something. And through the process, Jesus you know, talks to them. And eventually they all leave. They leave. And only the woman is left before Jesus. And Jesus says to her, so where are all these people who are accusing you? Where are they? And she looks around and they aren't there. It's only her and Jesus. And this is where Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. But what a safe place to be. See, that's where we find ourselves in the safe place. When it's just Jesus and us. We're safe there. You know, when, when you decide to sit down, maybe hopefully with your Bible, or if not, you're, but you sit and you talk with God. You, you think about stuff with God. Awesome. Sometimes people think, well, I've got to pray a certain way. I've got to act a certain way, say a certain way. Give it up. Let this be your safe place. You know, you can sit before God and say, God, here I am. And you know, you know what I've done. You know how I've sinned again. You know that. And I can't even tell you I don't want to do that again. I do. I'm struggling. I'm hurting. I don't know what to do, God. I, you know, really deep down inside, I do want to be what you want to be, but I have all this. Are you safe with God there? Are you? You're absolutely safe with God. He says, look, I don't condemn you. Yes, this is sin. It needs to go. You know, maybe he's leading, so you need to get some help. What? But... You're safe with him. He will condemn your sin, but he will not condemn you. This is huge. Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no, as in zero, condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What an amazing thing. But you can't get that anywhere else. We all know the reality is, is you, maybe you have a brother or sister in Christ and you trust them so much and you, you open up about things to them. Isn't there always the risk that they will see you differently? Isn't there always the risk that they actually might share this with someone at some point? It's always risky, isn't it? Now, I think we need to learn to take that risk and trust God in it. 
But the point is, we never have to worry about that with God. He is our safe place. Take him up on it. And then finally, mercy. Verse number 12, also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy. That's a good thing, isn't it? Um, the word mercy refers to the idea of, of not getting what you deserve. Um, if a police officer stops you because you're driving 55 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour zone, and for whatever reason decides not to give you a ticket, maybe gives you a warning, he has shown you what? Mercy, because you deserve to get a ticket and pay the fine. But instead he showed you mercy. Well, God is the one ultimately who can show us mercy that uh, makes a difference for us in our lives now and forever. Okay? Um, and that's the way he forgives us. He doesn't give us what we deserve. And after we've, we've been saved, no condemnation, all that kind of stuff, then we still sin, but God still shows us mercy. And this doesn't mean that God won't allow us to deal with consequences of our sin. He will. He loves us. He'll let us deal with the problem so we learn and grow. But the idea is that this mercy, this sin will never be held against me in eternity. This sin will never be held against me in my relationship with God. Mercy. What a good thing, isn't it? What an amazing thing that we have in him, this idea of mercy. So God and God alone is the one who can show you uh, mercy for your sinful failures all along the way. And this word mercy is often translated loving kindness. And so what it is, it's God's loving kindness to people who are sinners, which is everybody here today, right? Which is everybody who's watching, everybody who's listening. He shows his loving kindness to us and he doesn't face. And, and we are to learn to forgive like God, aren't we? We're to learn to forgive like God and to forgive what he does. But the, even then though, when we forgive like the Lord, if I show you mercy, if let's say you did me wrong and I show you mercy, I don't, you know. What that affects is our relationship here in a good way. But I can't, can I take away your accountability before God? Can I? No. So you think back, back in your life and the people who maybe hurt you in horrendous ways, sinned against you terribly, and you choose to forgive them, to show mercy, you can't take away their accountability before God. If they're going to get mercy from God, they're going to have to humble themselves before God and receive it there. But before, between us and God, mercy is absolute and it is permanent, which means it is eternal so, let's do a quick review of these seven things. Verse one, go ahead. Save, God and God alone can save you from the eternal consequences of your sin. He can provide you with a firm foundation for you to build your life upon. He can protect you, the only one who can protect you from the things that have the ability to ruin your life. He alone can enable you to live a life that God, or that makes him known. God is the only one who can give you the strength you need to accomplish his purposes in your life. And he alone can provide you with a truly safe place in life and only God 
can show you the mercy that you need for your sinful failures all along the way. God and God alone. Now I want to paint you just a little bigger picture. Israel was in trouble. Huge army coming from the north, the Assyrian army who had been conquering the whole world and they were brutal people, brutal soldiers and the things that they did. And, and Israel is way outnumbered and don't know what's going to happen. And King Hezekiah goes before the Lord. They had written this, I guess, like a letter to him telling him, he's saying, your God can't deliver you. Don't trust in your God. That's foolish. You know, look what we've done to everybody. You might as well give up now. And it says that Hezekiah took that letter and he, he went to the, the temple and he laid it down before the Lord and began praying. And God, these people, it is true. They're much more powerful than us. There's no way that we can resist them. He talks about this stuff and then he asks God to deliver them, to save them somehow, some way. And what I want you to see is that this, what he prayed wasn't ultimately even about being saved from this army. It was bigger than that. He says, God, we want you to deliver us. We ask you to deliver us. Uh, only you can deliver us. And he said, because of this reason, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. And so all these things we looked at today, the seven things that God and God alone is able to do in our lives. And, and we could, oh, I want to grab this one. I like that one. But I want to say, let's, no, let's live bigger than that. Let's say, God, yes, I want you to do all these things in my life. And yes, I will enjoy them and I will be glad for them. But God, I want you to do something bigger than that. I want when all is said and done for anybody who's able to observe my life, that they would see that you alone are God. Father, we come to you now and we thank you for your word. We do express to you, I'm confident, Lord, all this together, as much as we understand and are able that you alone are God and you alone can do the things we've looked at today and other things as well, Lord. You alone are God. But I pray, Father, that we would be motivated to live this way, not just for the blessing that comes into our lives, but that we would live in a way that you could be seen and known to be who you really are. Help us to do that, Lord. We aren't able on our own. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.